Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, as always. Sponsored by Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America, a fraternal financial organization that can help you plan for your family's future. Give Hector Flores a call, 940-453-3490. Also, of course, brought to you by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, it is the moment we've all been waiting for. It has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast version 167, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We do have a lot to discuss coming up on this version. We will talk a lot of Cowboys. Who's going to win and why? How do you write whatever that pile of poop we saw against Denver was last week? Another noon kick with the Atlanta Falcons coming in to the Death Star. We'll talk with Fort Worth Star Telegram beat writer Clarence Hill Jr. We've got ESPN's NFL insider Ed Werder. Take a trip around the block. We've got college football. I mean, we got a, it, it, This is like a sub sandwich loaded with all of everything. <laughs> So get ready to take a bite out of this. But I will tell you this, and I know that some of you have reached out. Some of you have finally understood that it is time. Hector actually sent me an email yesterday talking about this because you never know when you're going to wake up and you decide, and and I get it. We've talked about this with financial planning. Sometimes you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then you kind of realize, you know, I, I, I don't know. Or maybe you got a new job and your new job matches 401k. And you're like, what does that mean? And there's just all these different things that happen. But at some point you start realizing, I would like to make sure that my future and my family's future, maybe even more importantly, that we're going to be okay and that we're going to be secure. That's where Hector comes in. And it's non-fee-based. It doesn't cost anything to meet with him, and he can get with you and help you plan out how that's going to go with your financial future. Well, I mean, I think the thing about it is, man, is what Hector and modern women do is they give you a plan. Everybody needs a plan. I'm a Capricorn, so of course I think everybody needs a plan. And what they do is they, they ask you what your goals are. What do you want to be, and how do you want to get there? And then they show you, here's a route you can take that gives you the best chance to get where you're trying to go. And it doesn't matter whether you're being conservative or whether you're being aggressive or somewhere in between. They got a plan and a route that if you follow it, you should be here when it's time, when you want to be there. And that's all pretty much anybody's looking for in terms of retirement or saving some money for the future. Again, it's Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. He is a big listener of the podcast, supports us big time. We really appreciate him. So you can trust him. 
Give him a call. Let him work with you and help you with your financial future. 940-453-3490. Again, it is a non-fee-based fraternal financial organization. Costs nothing to meet with Hector. So give him a call. Set it up. 940-453-3490. Also, of course, Greening Law. You guys know Greening Law. I've been talking about him for a while. I just had my car accident. We talked about this, I think. Or no, it hit me yesterday. I was doing my show. My car accident was four months ago yesterday because it was July 10th when I got in my accident. And so yesterday, as we record this on November 11th, that four-month anniversary has come and gone. I'm still working with the attorneys over there at Greening Law. They're making sure that I'm getting, and I got to tell you, man, the place that I'm going now is phenomenal. And and they've got me set up. I have finally started to feel better four months later, which is wild. But my back and everything is starting to get better. And Greening Law, they, they take care of all the other stuff, all the legal stuff. They're my competitor against the insurance company. And I really, truly have been the last few months just focusing on what? My healing, my renewal, and trying to get as close as possible to what I was before I had my accident. Well, the best thing about Greening Law is it doesn't take anything to pick up the phone and say, here's my situation. What do you think? And then they tell you this. Hey, we think you're a good fit or ah, we wish we could help you, but we don't think it's a good fit. Good luck. And if it's a good fit, man, they take your case. They tell you, here's the questions that you don't even know you should be asking. Or here's the stuff you didn't even know that's involved in your case. And, uh, you know, man, to me, the best thing about it is they don't get paid unless you get paid. So you never, ever, ever have to wonder, are they really grinding on my behalf? I mean, it's such a big firm. They got so many clients. Are they really grinding for me? And the answer is always 100 percent. Yeah, because they don't get paid unless you get paid. It's Robert Greening and his green team at Greening Law. And as Jacques just told you, the consultation is free. So what are you waiting for? Give them a call. 972-934-8900-972-934-8900. Call now. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. Man, speaking of Dallas, Texas, well, I guess technically it's Arlington, but it's in the area, <laughs> all right? Right, right, right. And it right. is happening, and it is happening on Sunday. It is another one of, you know, maybe you like it, maybe you hate it, but it is a noon kick. I am under the belief that I will be able to watch the game from my own home this week, so we should get secret audio of a Cowboys homer. They don't always do this, but from what I understand, that will be the noon game here because they're playing the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta's a weird team. They started off 1-3. and three. It looked like, oh, they're going to suck again. What are they going to do? Then they turn it around by winning three out of their last four. Two of those against the Jets and the Dolphins. But they did have the big win last week over the New Orleans Saints on the road, by the way, in the Dome. And Matt Ryan was fantastic. Matt Ryan is a veteran quarterback. They don't have all the weapons that we're used to seeing them come in with. And part of that is because Calvin Ridley is on the IR. But they do have Kyle Pitts. And they do have, and man, you talk about a dude who almost has remade himself. This The the, the case of Cordero Patterson is fascinating to me. Because he was a dude who was originally drafted coming out of Tennessee that you thought was going to be some sort of a weapon in the NFL because he could do a little bit of everything. Right. But then he really became, more than anything else, he kind of became known as like the kick returner type guy, like a special teams type guy. He had a couple of decent seasons in Minnesota. Then he went to Oakland, did nothing. Went to New England, did nothing. Did a couple of years in Chicago where he was just kind of, eh, okay. And then, man... It, it, it's like Atlanta somehow out of the blue. I mean, we're talking about a dude who's a four-time All-Pro. 
right? because of his returning abilities. But then you talk about what Atlanta has discovered. They're like, wait a second. You know how to run routes as a receiver, and you can run the ball as a runner, and they used him prominently in both roles. Dude, I, I, I say this all the time, man. A guy like him who doesn't really fit into any categories, especially in the NFL. See, okay, check this out, man. Follow me here. If he was a basketball player, it wouldn't matter that he's he had tweener size. It's like, hey, we're going to put you on the court, dog. And, you know, if you're Magic Johnson and you're 6'9", and you should be playing in the post, but you can, you got handles, hey, man, be the new point guard. Um, if you're, you know, Dirk or Kevin Durant and you can shoot threes, hey, even though you're 7'0", don't worry about it. Hang out there and be the two guard. They don't do that in the NFL, man. They want you to be one spot, one this, one that. It took him all these teams and all these years to say, why are we putting this dude in a box? Let's just let him really do what he does best. Because if you're a terrific kick returner, that means you have moves and you have wiggle and you can make guys miss. But especially on kick returns, also means you got strength and power because you can run through arm tackles. And for me, it's all about figuring out how to get this dude the ball in space where he can do what he does best. And all these years, the Falcons are the first team to figure it out. Yeah, it's bizarre, man. He, this is his ninth NFL season. He's 30, 30, man. He's 30 years old. Again, his ninth NFL season. He has played eight games. He has 100 yards more from scrimmage this year than he has had in any other season he's ever played. No. It's incredible what the Falcons are doing with them, and it's working. And I think that that's something the Cowboys are going to have to plan for because this is a true gadget. And I know it's wild to think that at 30 years old. But, man, if you watched that Saints game last week, he he was the one that caught a 64-yard pass from Matt Ryan right at the end of the game to set up the game-winning field goal, and he went right by their – I mean, he went right by their cornerback. Oh, he's a problem now. And so I bet – you know, it's it'll be fascinating to see how they – who do you cover him with? You cover him with a linebacker? Probably not. You got to get a safety. You got to get a corner. How do you How do you account for him? Because if you mess up, it's, it could be six or a big play because he can definitely take you to the house. Yeah, and then we're talking about a guy who, oh, by the way, is averaging 30 yards a return for his career returning kicks. Oh, yeah, dude. He's, he's living his best <laughs> life as an he NFL is. player right now, bro. So all this to be said because, and again, I had said, look, last week's game, I just throw away the tape. I mean, I don't even know what you learned from that other than we sucked. We got our ass kicked. That's embarrassing. We put that out in front of our home fans to the point where at the end of the game, we looked up in our own home stadium and saw nothing but orange and could hear go Broncos chants. <laughs> and somebody had tweeted at me and goes, that's ridiculous. You don't throw the tape away. You keep the tape and you watch it over and over. I was like, no, why? I mean, th these are grown men. These are athletes who get paid a ton of money. They know they sucked last week. And now the question is, what did they do in their preparation leading up to the game that happened to when they kicked off at noon last week, that product was on the field because something had to have happened in the week that they didn't do, or they could feel it, or they thought, nah, it's fine, whatever, that they ignored that led to that performance on Sunday. Well, I think it's like this, man. Um, we were talking and you said, hey, they're, uh, they've been talking about being pissed off this week, and does that really matter? And here's, here's my interpretation of that from, um, you know, years of covering the NFL. What mad really means is that, you know, I'm going to focus on my job this week. It's no different, literally, than if when we were in school, you took a test and you got a 62 on it. You go, oh, shit, 
I didn't really study. Yeah. I bullshitted when I was supposed to be studying. I got another test in three weeks. I'm finna ace this bitch. I mean, because that's how you talk <laughs> when you talk to yourself. Sure. And um, and so you, what do you do? You're mad about your grade, so you study. You pay more attention in class. You study like you're supposed to study. You show up for the test. You get 91 out of it. You go, yeah, that's what's up. That's what I'm talking about. And you keep it moving. To me, that's what the Cowboys did. They didn't really prepare. They weren't focused against um, Denver. And I actually think whether Von Miller was playing or not, the trade of Von Miller went, oh, this guarantees we win the game. And so I think they just came in with a bad mindset. And this week, everybody's working a little harder. Practice is a little more intense. The preparation is a little more laser focused. And I think they'll have a much better performance. Yeah, and it's wild because, again, it was such an outlier performance by the Cowboys last week that despite what we saw from the offense, which did not crack 300 yards, they put up 290 yards of total offense, they still lead the NFL in offense because that's it was such an outlier. We just don't expect that. I mean, this is a Cowboys team that averages 434 yards of offense each and every game. They average 30 points. That's what they are. And that was so odd to see that last week that it's hard for me to believe that that is going to all of a sudden randomly become the norm when we have, I mean, look, when you get to this point of the season, you've played eight games. And for the most part, I mean, maybe you throw the Chargers game in there, but in six of your other eight games, you've done something complete. And even against the Chargers, they cracked over 400 yards. Right. That to me is what this team is. This is a team that's going to move the ball. This Atlanta defense is not as good as the Denver defense. I think they'll be able to move the ball. And when the offense does well, it doesn't put as much pressure on the defense. And the defense can get away with just being their average self. When you're when you're ahead, like we always talk about, you're dictating the game. And the offense is so good that you're putting constant pressure on the other team's offense, which helps your defense even more because it puts them in favorable situations where they can really get after the passer. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm not really tripping over the, the Broncos game. I get it. I understand it. Uh, I'm ready to see what happens against Atlanta so we can we can get back on a normal, normal run. Yeah, and you look at Atlanta, man. I mean, they're bottom five in scoring defense. They allow 27 and a half, which you round up 28 points a game, which is basically right on what the Cowboys are pretty much used to putting up. And you just look at this team in Atlanta – they're going to give you up their their average at best defensively, but they don't make plays like the Cowboys do, which is why I, I will say this, though, because Matt Ryan coming in as a veteran quarterback and he has had some really good games this year. I think the Falcons are going to score. I, I don't know that this is one of those games that you're going to wipe the Falcons off the field. I actually think it'll end up being a really good game. I just believe the Cowboys are a better team, and I think Dak and this team especially with my belief in Dak, who knows how late he stayed up going over every single thing, trying to figure out why it happened the way it did and why he didn't see what he was supposed to see last week. I think that offense is going to come out firing and just light it up on Sunday. Oh, I think that's, uh, I think that's to be expected, and I think that's what will happen. And I'll be surprised if it doesn't happen. Um, I think how they handle uh, Terrence Steele and what's going on at the at the other defensive end spot will be a get, big key for it because um, you, your quarterback's got to be comfortable. And you can't be comfortable if I'm getting hit, you know, two seconds, second and a half after, after I get the ball every snap because yeah. you can't hold up a little bit. So I think he'll get a little more help, whether it's a real double team or a chip from the running back or whatever. 
But uh, I think he'll get some more help, and that'll help uh, Dak be a, a bit, an even better quarterback or get back to normal. Yeah, and this is one of those games. I mean, both these teams aren't very great at red zone defense. And so when you get down in there, I, I, I don't know that the Cowboys have anybody who's going to hold Kyle Pitts in the red zone. Maybe they put Micah Parsons on him. I, I, I don't know. But I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. I just think Dallas is a better team. And right. again, because seven out of eight games, I have seen one team. And then last week I saw a different team. I'm going to go with the seven that I've seen, which I'm taking Dallas. And I think this is going to be a fun one. I, I think Dallas wins it 38-31. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the Cowboys will kick, take it. I'd hate to see 31 points from the Falcons. I'm going to say Dallas uh, wakes up from their offensive slumber and they get it done 31-20. Uh, Very nice. So there you have it. Both of us, another Cowboys win. And that, look, they need it. They need to get that momentum going. They got to snap it and don't let this be a streak. You get to seven and two, and this is going to be a weird next several weeks because once they get past the Falcons, four of their next five games are on the road. Okay, I've already changed my mind. I think the score is more like 34-27. Okay, all right. 34-27. You know, I try to get all these things linked and synced, man. I think I picked in the paper for the Cowboys to win and the Falcons to cover. So I needed to I needed to get them to a seven because I think the line was like eight and a half. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. I figured I'd take you all behind the scenes and how I really get this thing figured out. Well, now we know. So you get past Atlanta. They go on the road to Kansas City. Then they turn around on the short week on Thanksgiving Day, the Thursday night game or Thursday afternoon, rather, against the Raiders at home in Dallas. Then they have three straight road games, a Thursday night game against the Saints in the Dome. And then two noon kicks again where they go up to Washington to play the football team and then on the road up in New York against the Giants. So we shall see. This is going to be a weird schedule for the Cowboys, too, because, you know, they've got this one at noon. Then they've got the two afternoon kicks, then a Thursday night game, then two more noon kicks right now. The day after Christmas, they are scheduled for a Sunday night football matchup against Washington. I would imagine something gets flexed. Because Washington is so bad. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Although, you know, Cowboys put up such good numbers and there is a rivalry there that it depends on what other games are available that, that people will care about. Yeah, because I was just going to say, at that point, you have to realize college football is gone. And so you start getting some of those Saturday games. Like there's a couple of games on actual Christmas Day this year in the NFL those other Sunday games, you know, Rams, Vikings at that point might be one. Bills, Patriots right? at that point might be up there. You've got Ravens, Bengals that day. So there there may be some Steelers, Chiefs, but that's a 3 o'clock kick, so who knows. But we'll see how it turns out, but uh, keep that in mind. For And that's looking way ahead down the road, but there you have it. So as we move forth... Allow us to tell you about our wonderful friends at Blue Star Motor Group, Deb and Mike, her husband. You know, if you are looking to buy or sell your car, and I say this because it's true, I, I don't even care if you've already started the process and you've gone somewhere else. I would take the information that you have gotten from someone else before you make a decision and make sure you talk to Deb at Blue Star Motor Group before you go forward anywhere else. Because once you talk to her and you say, hey, you know, I, I've been listening to the podcast and I just realized I probably should give you a call. Let them see what they can do for you. It's because they don't have any overhead. And, and most times they're going to be able to give you the best deal you're probably ever going to find. 
No, I think the the whole key about Blue Star Motor Group, man, it's about the win-win. They want to win. They want you to win. They want everybody to feel good when all the paperwork is signed. And so they go out of their way to make sure you feel good about the deal and the situation. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're buying a car or selling a car. So give her a call. It is Deb. It is Blue Star Motor Group. You can find them online at bluestarmotorgroup.com. Call her, though. Her number, 817-881-4066. You can shoot her a text, 817-881-4066. They will meet you. If you're looking to sell, they will come to you and buy your car. And I'm telling you, man, cars are hard to come by right now. It's hard to find a good deal in the world of cars because everything that's going on in the world, they've got them at Blue Star Motor Group. Their inventory is constantly changing. They are constantly offering new deals. And you are going to find phenomenal deals at bluestarmotorgroup.com. So check them out. Give Deb a call. Again, the number, 817-881-4066. Also, and I'm curious because I know that several of you have ordered this, and I really want to know what you guys think of it because I love it. I love it so much, I just ordered a whole other box of it, and that's Brews Biltong. It's B-R-U-S. B-I-L-T-O-N-G, Brews Biltong at BrewsBiltong.com. You're like, what is Biltong? Again, it, it, it's <laughs> like beef jerky, but is it, it is a traditional South African air-dried meat. I had never had it before until they approached us, and we talked to them about doing the podcast, and I tried it. I was like, holy crap, this stuff. Like, I really, really like it. Like, legit, I eat it. I've been eating every day. I've already plowed through the bags that I ordered, so much so that I have another order that's supposed to arrive for me on Friday. (laughs) That's terrific, man. I think the thing about it is it's probably the tenderest beef jerky I've ever had. Like, it's not the kind that gets stuck in your teeth because it's so dry. It's uh, it's really good. It's really flavorful. And, you know, me and Matt both work out. And, uh, you know, for me, somebody who's always trying to keep his weight in check, it's uh, the fact that you can get 30 grams of protein, no carbs, no sugar. It's fantastic. Yeah, man. I mean, that's what it is. There's no artificial ingredients whatsoever. That's what makes this so fantastic. Zero sugar, as you just said. And what I like about it is there's a variety of different ways you can order it, but they have these two ounce bags that are 240 calories and 30 grams of protein per bag. Or you can get the bigger because they have eight ounce bags that have multiple servings in them. They have these sticks. I mean, there's, it's just, I really like it. I, I chowed down on some because I worked out yesterday and, and immediately came in and just ate some biltong. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I grew up in South Africa. So I was familiar with all that biltong is, but it's really cool, man. It, it's a dude who was making it at home in his garage his friends liked it so much that he started making more and decided, what the hell? I'm going to try this and launch my own thing. And that's what he did, which I always think that's awesome. It's kind of like what me and Jacques did. So support him, man. He's a good dude and he supports us. And keep this in mind. When you go to bruisebiltong.com, again, bruise is B-R-U-S, Biltong, you get 15% off when you order it. So make sure you use the code JAM15, J-A-M-15, at checkout. You get 15% off your order. I think you're going to love it. I really do. And start sending us pictures like you do with everything else because I want to I know what people think about this because I like it so much. Hell yeah. So send in your pics, man, of Bruise Biltong, bruisebiltong.com. I'm telling you, if you like beef jerky, you will love Biltong. But let's move into this trip around the block. Got some things to talk about. First off, I got to tell you, man, you were right. (laughs) I'm always right, but what was I right about? Your recommendation of your honor. So 
Hell yeah. We we were trying to decide between billions or your honor. And I play, I, this is how it works in my house. I have to, I can read a synopsis of something like, I want to try this. She's got to see the trailer. So we play the trailer and I go, it's up to you. She goes, well, they both look really good. But man, that your honor looks interesting. I was like, okay. And I was like, well, which one? So let's do your honor because it's only one season. We can knock it out. And then if we still need something, we'll go to billions because there's five seasons of it right now. So we start Your Honor, and I we're four episodes into the 10-episode first season. And I mean, holy crap, this thing is intense. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, I could go back and watch it again from start to finish and be like, yeah, this is good. I mean, it is, it is unbelievably intense. And the synopsis of it is basically Brian Cranston plays a judge whose son accidentally gets into a wreck and kills another kid. They're both probably 17, 18 years old. And unfortunately for him, the kid that he killed is the mo- is like the Tony Soprano of New Orleans, his kid. Yeah. And so they decide how they're going to handle this and the fallout of it. And I mean, every episode, I mean, you, God, you're, it's just intense. I'm like, Mike, they're going to get caught. What? Oh, what? How does it? Well, and there's so many just different angles of it. I mean, man, it's wild. No, and the acting's superb. The script is great. The dialogue's wonderful. And it's so uh, it's, damn real, man. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by the script is great and the dialogue is wonderful. Because we've all seen shows where you're like, really? You really said that, dude? I mean, come on, man. And it's it's um, crazy because, again, it, 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 it almost puts you into a what-would-you-do situation. Well, yeah. It's a, uh, and see, that's, that's what I liked about it, man. Because you could really run through it and go, it's... Here's what I like to say. It's uh, it's definitely a relatable situation that kicks off the whole the whole show. Yeah. And um, you just wonder, would I do this? Would I be the bigger person? Would I be the person I hoped that I would be? Because you know we can all say what we're gonna do till the time comes. <laughs> and then then once you're on the clock, you really don't know what you're going to do. But uh, dude, it's 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 fantastic. The ending is superior and. Uh, Dude, it's uh, it's one of my favorite shows. That's why I was so hyped when they said they were bringing back season two. Yeah, man, and and again, I'm, I'm not even to a point where I know how season one at all is going to play out. I keep thinking that there you do, and then you don't, and then I wonder, well, how is this going to work? And how? I, I mean, my God, I feel like they're about to just go off the deep end themselves on this, and there's just so many different angles, <laughs> like even stuff that you know, like his relationship with his teacher, which. I, I didn't realize at first. I'm like, my God. I mean, how young is that girl? Fresh out of college. Apparently, which I thought was weird because I thought you had to have a master's to teach high school, but maybe not. I don't know. No, no, you don't. No. So I guess like you could be 22, 23. Hell yeah. And then it doesn't seem as weird. Right. Because you're only five years removed from your students. Or also, four years removed. can we be honest? Isn't it weirder when it's the the man teacher and the female student than the reverse role where it's the female teacher and the male student? Like, it's both wrong. But, I mean, when you were in high school, didn't we all kind of dream of that happening? Yeah, I think it's... Um I mean, I think we're getting into our sexist world that we live in because it just seems creepier when it's a dude and a young lady. As yeah, but they're both young. Them. I mean, their brain development right. is both at the same place. They're both being taken advantage of. Right. That's what I said. I said it's it's yeah. all about our own views on sexism and everything that we think it's creepier when it's the exact same thing. The only thing's different is the gender involved in the creepiness. Yeah, and I guess that's the the rabbit hole you got to go down on that one. 
Yeah, because it's all bad. You know, because you know you're in a position to manipulate and do all this other stuff. So yeah, it is that that's that's true. So the other thing, did you see the concert in Houston, bro? That happened like a week ago, and it was called what was it called? Astro World, and I, I guess there's a rapper named Travis Scott, and he was headlining it. Oh yeah, he's a big deal now. Yeah, I didn't. I I was unfamiliar with him. I don't no, know what to tell. I, I apologize. No, I, he's a no, he's a big deal. And I'm not in. I'm not in deep into the rap game, but he's a big deal. If I'm not missing, if I'm not speaking out of turn, one is he was on like he had some kind of like uh, I want to say it was McDonald's or Sprite endorsement where they called it the Travis Knight meal or whatever it is. Yeah, and he's dating one of those. I want to say he's one of the Kardashians or Bruce Jenner's group or okay. whatever. You know what I'm saying? I got you. Yeah. So that's he was he was already a big deal, and then he got involved like maybe he's dating Kylie Jenner or something like that. I don't know, but he's a big deal because of all of those things. Yeah, and so this and by now I think a lot of people are familiar with this because it was last weekend and eight people died. After a crowd surge at this Astro World Festival in Houston, where they were basically trampled to death, and then there was a thing where there's some belief that these people were pricked with something that sent them into cardiac arrest, like somebody was going around the crowd, like killing them or something. Dude, that was, to me that was the uh, that was the strangest part of it. Like, really? And. Uh... I can't really fathom how that how that goes down. How a crowd gets you know so amped up like that that yeah. they start a stampede, and then it seems amazing that you're trampled and you can't get up. But I guess you couldn't because once you fell, you're just surrounded by a mass of bodies walking over you. I mean, it just seems like a just a horrific way to go. It does. I, I mean, I, it's just got to be the worst. And and now there's all sorts of just different lawsuits going around. And how in the world could this happen? And and apparently the security people that were hired had had problems in the past with different things. And I mean, it's just absolutely bizarre, man. And, and yeah. I, I don't know part what seems to be who who do you sue? I don't know. I mean, they, they but they're going down the rabbit hole. I mean, Travis Scott, Drake, who apparently was a part of this, the organizer, the promoter, Live Nation, the venue. I mean, I guess everybody. And they're probably doing, you know, one of those class action things that will end up being settled because I would imagine like Travis Scott and Drake at that level, they've got to be like crazy rich. And then Live Nation, obviously. So I, I don't know how that'll play out, but it's 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 really, really when I read that last week, I was like, man, what what? Like, how does that happen in this day and age? That is just bizarre. I don't know. And none of that has to do with anything about who is somebody apparently injecting people with stuff. Yeah, you know, and it sounds like they're two different things. They're trying to figure out exactly what that's about because the Houston police chief originally came out and said something about it and then kind of walked it back yesterday about trying to figure out what this was but he, they do say one of the narratives was that someone was injecting other people with drugs right and so they're trying to figure out what exactly this is and, and is that something that's realistic and did that happen because that's also horrifying i mean dude i remember one year when i was down in college at southwest texas we would go up to Austin for Halloween, and one Halloween there's a rumor going around that somebody was walking around the crowd poking people with needles that had AIDS in it. Jeez. And so everybody started to freak out and try to get off of Sixth Street. I mean, it was just bizarre. Now, I, I, obviously, as far as my knowledge is, that was never true, but, I mean, you hear something like that, you're like, what, what? You know, and, and is it true? Let's stay and find out. No, you're. let's get the hell out of here. 
And I think yeah, that's kind of what happened at, at the Astro World thing. The other thing, and this is way more positive. This will be fun for everybody. Although it is kind of, they call it Wagyu Mania. Yeah. It is a restaurant that is opening in Plano. It'll be open for just 18 days. Damn. That will be selling Wagyu beef. And apparently it is a, again, Wagyu Mania is the name of it. It is created by the Japanese External Trade Organization to market Wagyu in the United States. And North Texas is considered a high profile market because of mainly because Toyota, a Japanese owned company is headquartered there for its, its American headquarters. So the Wagyu beef is available in a variety of ways. You can get it at... There's only four tables. <laughs> this is Jeez. so bizarre. There's four tables. It will be open from November 20th through December 31st. Lunch only on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. Here's what you can order. They are each at $26. A Wagyu steak sandwich, a Wagyu burger, Wagyu sushi, or seared Wagyu with rice and curry gravy. And that is it. You can also order raw Wagyu to take home to cook yourself. Dude, and why is Wagyu so good? Isn't it like the way like grass-fed meat or something like that, right? No, I guess. I don't know. I think that I that's was, what it know, is. Because when you said Wagyu, I was thinking Kobe. And then I was like, no, no, this is Wagyu. So I so, get up and see why it's so spectacular. What makes it so special is its copious marbling, which creates a luxurious buttery tenderness unlike any steak from cattle raised in America. Alrighty then. So there you have it. It is a Japanese beef cattle breed. <laughs> so apparently, oh, this is fantastic. I'm learning so much about Wagyu. Look at this. So Wagyu refers to all Japanese beef cattle, where Wa means Japanese and the goo part means cow. Oh, so that's just Japanese steak. Yeah, apparently so. So there you have it. And now you know that it's it's just absolutely fantastic. It was first imported in 1975 when two black and two red bulls were imported by Morris Whitney. In 1989, they began to reduce their tariffs on imported beef and encouraged U.S. producers to produce a high quality product for Japan. So it's been around for a while, but that's what it is. It is the taste and tenderness it is an unrivaled eating experience. Not only is it a gastronomic delight, it's healthy for you, too. All right. That sounds fantastic. So now you know. Everything, why, why is it only open for 18 days? I guess it's, it's you know, to create buzz and to get everybody in uh, everybody anywhere near that. It's in the legacy area in Plano, so they're probably just going to get slammed, sell a crap ton of it, and then move on. Golly, I guess. Okay. You hear about that sometimes, man. These weird pop-ups and stuff that people do, yeah. you know? Yeah, where yeah. They, they just become so super popular based on, oh, well, you can, you're never going to get it again. It's one time only. Get it now. And, and people just go berserk for that stuff. I, I, I would not. I'm not a line waiter. <laughs> I can't stand waiting in lines. I mean, even if it's something like I just... Very, very few times do I find something that I feel is worth waiting in line for. Um, I'm with you on that, bro. I've been known to leave groceries in the cart. Yeah. I, I, I'm just. Lines, nah. If the line's going too slow, I just like, I can't do it. Yeah. And, and like a lot of the times, and I'll tell you this, I found a haircut place here that I think is absolutely phenomenal. And I went, like, I thought you could just, it, it's, it's just a haircut place. It, it's a kind of like an old school barbershop, but it's like if you've ever been to Floyd's, 
It's like a cross between Floyd's in the Dallas area and an old school barbershop. And the entire staff is men. It's just men cutting men's hair. And they do beard trims and all kinds of stuff. They don't take card. It's cash only. It's wild. But I went in there once. This is probably several weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, I was hoping to get a haircut because I didn't see any, like one person was waiting. I thought I'd walk right in. He goes, uh, okay, when are you trying to get it done? I was like, uh, right now, possible. And he just laughed. He goes, nah, man. He goes, our next availability is probably sometime next week. <laughs> I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, we get booked up. So I was like, okay. So I had to make a schedule a week in advance. So that was the last time I got my haircut. It was six weeks ago. I went online this time to schedule my next appointment. I had to schedule it two weeks out. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, appointments is where it's at, though, because then you just walk in. You don't have to wait. I was like, my God, man, this place is booked up that far in advance to get a haircut. Yeah, because I think the world has gone like this because time is money, man. And and who wants to be? I mean, you don't like lines, but who wants to be waiting? you know, hours for a haircut. I remember, dude, when I was a kid, let me stop this. This was up until, you know, I was in college, man. I used to go in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day, so there would only be mm-hmm. one or two people there when I was going. But again, and again, it's I think a lot of this is a cultural difference. Most black people aren't just walking in somewhere and saying, anybody cut my hair. They're like, this is my barber. Yeah. This is the guy I go to. It could be four barbers there. If my guy ain't there, hey, when is my guy coming back? Oh, he went out to lunch. He'll be back at one. Okay, I'll be there. Because you don't let just anybody cut your hair in the black community. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I, I do let anybody cut my hair. But the guy who cut it last time, I thought, I was like, my God. He trimmed my beard and everything. And I told him, I was like, dude, this might be the best haircut and beard trim I've ever had. Well, see, that's why people, like, most people be like, well, how come you just didn't book him when you went back? to make sure that every time you go, it's the best beard trim and best haircut. Right, well, and so I went online and booked him, and that's why I had to wait two weeks because I specifically wanted him. Right, and why you probably wait two weeks? Because he's probably damn good, and everybody's like, oh, I want that guy to do my hair. Yeah, so now I'm going to have to remember, like, next time I get my haircut, try to look ahead a month. Well, do they only let you book two? Do they only let you book it a couple weeks ahead? Or no, you can book. I mean, I can book a month from now, but it's just like, when do I want to get my haircut? What am I doing that day? I don't have a clue. You know, that's why having to book stuff that far out is nuts. But it's funny because the place that the barbershop is at is right next to a bar where we do this Friday night tailgate show every Friday that I'm a Uh, part of. And I couldn't remember his name. And he was walking out one day when I was walking to go do the show. I was like, hey, man. And he looked at me and I go, you cut my hair like a month ago. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I go, what was your name again? (laughs) And he told me, and so I made sure to remember. I said, okay, cool, because I got to get a haircut again, and I got I wanted to make sure it was you. And he was like, all right. And this is another great thing about living in Birmingham. I told some people, I was like, yeah, I got my haircut at this place called Single Barber, what, Single Barrel Barbershop. And they're like, man, that place is expensive. And I was like, really? They're like, You've yeah. become that guy now, Matt. No, 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 I haven't. This place in Dallas would be, like, unbelievably affordable. Getting your hair cut at an equivalent place in Dallas, people like that's what blew my mind is I was paying this much to get my hair cut at lesser places. See, see, see. But it's the it's the affordability. Like when they told me how much it was gonna be, I was like, Are you serious? And I was like, Here, I'll just give you a really big tip. Thanks, man. <laughs> I was like, Holy crap, I can't believe how affordable that is. That'll work. He's like that. It does, man. It really does. I will also tell you this. You won't believe how affordable it can be to check out Freeway Tire Shop. 
because here's the thing. They give you super competitive pricing on whatever it may be. Oil change. You need some mechanical work done. You need to get some new tires. JR is going to offer you a very fair competitive price. But more importantly, it's the customer service. It's the trust factor of knowing when you drop your vehicle off, he's doing the work he says he's going to do. He explains it in full to you. And when you pick it up, you know that he stands behind his work. You're not going to magically have something go wrong. And then you take it back where they go, oh, you must have done something to it. They take no, care I mean, of you. No, it's the reason why I take my cars to JR, man. It's, it's for me, it's the peace of mind, bro. Like, when you don't have to worry about your mechanic, it's just straight up peace of mind. So, you know, I, I trust JR to diagnose the problem, and then I trust him to use quality parts to fix it. I always trust him to give me a fair price because not every not every mechanic does. And then I trust him, dog, to stand behind his work, mm-hmm. which to me is a big deal. JR does those things time after time after time. It doesn't just do it for me. It does it for everybody. And uh, that's why his business is thriving, and that's why Freeway Tire is the best. Yeah, man, it is. It really is. And and if you're not taking your vehicles there, the question just becomes why? Do you like just throwing away money? Do you like taking it somewhere and going, I'm not going back there again? Trying to find that place where you know you can take it every time. That place is Freeway Tire Shop. It, it, again, as simple things like a state inspection or an oil change, or you can go all the way down to extensive mechanic work like Jacques has had done on all of his cars. It is Freeway Tire Shop. JR and his guys, they will take care of you. So let them. They want to. They're big fans of what we do. We appreciate them very much. So support them as they support us. Also, of course, Smokey John's Barbecue. As you know, Thanksgiving is now just two weeks away. Well, this is good. This price that I'm about to tell you about is good through November 17th. They right now at Smokey John's Barbecue are offering... They're smoked turkey legs stuffed with their homemade dressing and gravy with a side of cranberry sauce. A two-pack is $34.95. A four-pack is $69.95. And if you call and order it by November 17th and you you let them know, heard about it on Jam Session, you get a complimentary homemade side, one pint worth, with your stuffed turkey leg pack order. Doesn't get any better than that, my friend. Hell no, man. Who wants? Who doesn't want to pile into a stuffed turkey leg from Smokey John's? Bro? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's like, succulent. The yes. dressing is fantastic. It's all good, baby. Mm-hmm. Especially this time of the year. Right around Thanksgiving, it just sets it up perfectly. The number to call to order your stuffed turkey leg pack is 214-352-2752. 214-352-2752 to order that stuffed turkey smoked turkey leg, the homemade dressing and gravy, the side of cranberry sauce. Since you're a jam session listener, the complimentary homemade side, my God, that's awesome. That just sounds fantastic. And of course, don't forget, yes, you can still go get the jam session bowl. That's on the secret menu. Nobody's going to know about it. We got somebody had messaged us the other day on Twitter that went in and ordered the jam session bowl and said the lady behind him was like, what is that? And he told her (laughs) what it was. So she ordered it too. (laughs) I love it. It's kind of awesome. So, yes, it's the Jam Session Bowl off the secret menu, only available to Jam Session listeners. And you can, of course, get that at Smokey John's Barbecue right there, just north of downtown Dallas off Mockingbird. You're going to love it, man. It's local. It's family owned. And it is fire, which is my new word for awesome. <laughs> Apparently like that man. I've just adopted, I guess. I don't I like know. that. I like that. I like that. 
He joins us now as he does every week. Of course, as always, brought to you by Soda Weight Loss, a longtime Cowboys beat writer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram, Clarence E. Hill Jr. And Chill, we haven't obviously talked to you this this week since whatever that was that we saw on Sunday. What, what do you take away from a game in which the Cowboys are trailing a 500 team 30 to nothing? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it was one of those days. I mean, just a bad day at the office, as they said, because it was a number of things. I know that, you know, the Broncos say they have a blueprint and they put a blueprint out there and, and Banjo was beating his chest and no one has played the Cowboys right. He played them right, and I guess he's showing the league with how to defend the Cowboys. There were so many squirrely things, though. I mean, you know, that second, fourth, and two where Dak has uh, set Wilson wide open and he just flubs the ball out of his hand. You know, that had nothing to do with the defense. You know, that has to do with Dak not making a play and, and doing something he hasn't done all season. Uh, uh, Mark Cooper dropping his first pass of the year. You know, wide open, that was a big, big play with no one around him. You know, the same thing with uh, Tony Parsons, you know, and, and CeeDee Lamb. And CeeDee Lamb, you know, said that he was hurt. He was not 100% because of the ankle injury he suffered in practice last week, so he wasn't himself. Uh, just different things like that. And then, of course, you have the, the squirrely uh, block punt that the Cowboys made a play but didn't get the ball. You know, just things that happened in that game could have changed momentum that didn't have to go the Cowboys' way, so – it was just one of those days you look across the league and, and Jacksonville beating Buffalo. And uh, I just think that it's just, again, one of those days. Of course, good teams, uh, championship teams, they find a way to bounce back. And we'll see the Cowboys need to bounce back this week. Um, what's the vibe you've been getting from out there in the, uh, I guess, the one or two days you've been out there this week? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a it's a focus. It's a determined. It's a, it's a re-angry uh, vibe. I mean, uh, McCarthy is not jovial <laughs> in the press conferences. Uh, you know, just talking to uh, Jerron Curtis, said, you know, they, they are everybody's upset and pissed off. The defense is mad because they let Dan Quinn down with the lack of physicality. And they talked about how they didn't have a good practice last week, but Yesterday they had a good practice. You know they're they're refocused. They 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 got the right attitude. That we'll see if it, it it shows itself on Sunday. But they're uh, again, this is a team that that's pissed off. Do you? We've been hearing that all week. A team that's pissed off. Do you think that that matters? I think it matters. I think sometimes you need a wake-up call. I mean, sometimes you, you, you can feel good about this. So things were going well. I mean, things were – the Cowboys had – it wasn't like the Cowboys hadn't had adversity, but it seemed like everything was coming up roses. I mean, no one really expected them to be, be the Vikings of a Cooper Rush quarterback and to do it the way they did, come back fast. And I mean, this is like – it seemed like every time the Cowboys rolled the dice, it would, it would, it would, it would, it would come up big sixes. But, you know, uh, no, no matter what happened, you lose – Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory and, and Michael Parsons played defense in. You beat San Diego. I mean, San Diego, you beat the Chargers in, in L.A. I mean, they were just going their way, you know. And so I, I think that you have a tendency to to think, well, things are going to go our way, and we can always we can just roll out there and you know and do it. And I think that that was, you know, I had no problem with the two fourth down calls, but it was more of a you know. Whatever we want to do, we usually can do it. And, and and they open the game feeling cocky and confident that, you know, they can do whatever they want 
against the Broncos. And I think that when they didn't get it done, it did fire up the Broncos. And it did give them some momentum. And the Cowboys, who did not, I, I believe, open the game with the right attitude, certainly didn't open the game with the right intensity. You know, they never put it together. They were flat. How big a deal is it that Zerline's not playing this week? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Depends, like, depends on how you feel about Zerline. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, I'm asking. It's a, big, it's a big deal when you don't have your kicker. You have to sign someone on the street, an unknown product who really never kicked in the league before. You know, do, do we trust this guy? I mean, but the confidence is Zerline. I mean, for a better guy, you know, Greg the leg, you know, he, he's not been automatic. But at least he's kicked in the league before. At least he's made kicks in games before. You know he can do it and has done it. Uh, I mean, I think it's a huge deal because again, you, you, you're, 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 uh, and, and the way the Cowboys are playing, you know, you need to maximize your points, maximize your opportunities, uh, and and so not having Zerline, I think it's a big deal. But again, I don't think Zerline has been what we expect him to be for sure. But again, he still has kicked in the league. This guy hasn't. Fair enough. <laughs> It'll I mean, be. I thought uh, he'd been a star in the CFL. Well, CFL ain't the NFL, and the NFL <laughs> is what not. Not for long if you don't make kicks on Sunday, okay? Yeah, I mean, he'll be here for a week, and then good luck. We'll see you back in the CFL, I guess. But what's your take on Atlanta coming in? They've won three of four, but again, you look at who they've beaten. They had a good win over the Saints last week, but is this a team that has what it takes to get past the Cowboys, a pissed-off Cowboys? I mean, you know, the Broncos were better than we saw and, and better than they were on paper. They were an improving team, and I think the Saints are an, I mean, the Falcons are an improving team. Certainly, based on who they played and how they played, they shouldn't beat the Cowboys. But again, this again, they shouldn't beat the Cowboys. And we saw earlier this season playing at a high level, hitting on all cylinders. They can beat the Cowboys team that's flat and, and, and not focused and, and just thinking that they they can just roll the ball out of there and do what they want to do. Uh, they 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 have some explosive players on offense. We know that they got a tight end. They can make the plays. They got a quarterback that's been to the Super Bowl. They can make plays on you. You know, and, and if the Cowboys are you know, going to be messing around and, and not doing what they're supposed to do. You know, the same thing that happened against the Broncos cap this week. But, but again, this Cowboys team, you know, if they're refocused and recharged like they said they are, and, and Dak and, and Mari and CD are, you know, on their game, they should have their way with the Falcons. And I guess that leads to uh, defensively, the Falcons can put up some points with Matt Ryan, with uh, Kyle right. Pitts doing this thing at tight end. What do you think about this defense in, uh, over the last week? Well, I think that, that one thing that the, the Cowboys defense has built and one thing that they've, they've been able to do is they really never really had to play from behind. You know, like they did last week, this is not a defense you really want out there playing from behind. You know, they, they still have some, we still have some concerns about the run defense. And, and, the, and the Broncos have been exposed, especially on the edge. That's where you're missing the Broncos' loss. So they were – Get a lot of yards rushing the edge. And what's we love with Randy Gregory's done all season, uh, certainly uh, rushing the quarterback, you know, stop and run, you know, blowing up on the edge has been a problem. You know, and, and, and it seemed like the uh, Broncos ran right at him. And, and I, I would think that that's something that the Falcons would try to do. They would try to run at the edge of those guys, of the edge of this defense. Uh, part of the problem with the defense was, yeah, they wanted to feel a lot. They got tired, but still they got to find a way to bow up. Uh, you can't have uh, 
Diggs getting penalties. You got to start making plays. They're going to go after him. They got some receivers that can make a play, make some plays. I'm going to go after him. And of course, you, you talked about the tight end, his ability to make plays. And that, that's that's going to be on Jaron Curse. They're trying to find a way to stop him. I would try to double the tight end because he's he's that special and, and take my chance with other guys. But again, you got to get to Matt Ryan because he's a statue in the pocket. He's not going to move around and make plays. So you know the pass rush has to get to us. But again, this defense, if the offense is not moving the ball and controlling the clock and playing, you know, scoring points, you don't really want this defense having to play from behind and being on the field. You know, that that's not who they are. It's not what where it's built. That there are still questions about them stopping somebody down in, down out when they don't have the momentum. Hey, I'm just I'm just asking the question, man. So don't shoot the messenger. Is Tav- is Trayvon Diggs still Deion Sanders? Why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Why are I we doing this? I mean, we're, I, I, mean, ask, I said I started the question, but don't shoot the message. I'm just asking a question. I'm, he's not playing like prime time now, no. And I and all I said was like <laughs> I wasn't talking about what you said. I'm talking about in yeah, general. You were, yeah, you were. You're, 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 you're trying to bring something back up. <laughs> I was saying he was playing prime time like with Mark Irvin, Trey but he was just also said. Wasn't just me. <laughs> I'm not talking about just you, man. You know, so prime time like I put it away. He played like Deion Sanders did just to coach that game with Bob Harrison. <laughs> hey, man, sports <laughs> is fluid. Harrison took old Deion Sanders to the house. You remember that game? Yeah, dude, you done went back to the archives to 1997 <laughs> or 98. Listen. <laughs> He was still in the league, wasn't he? he still <laughs> oh my God. That's the only time I ever I seen Deion beat on a double move, and I was shocked. <laughs> I was there. So, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he, he gambles, he takes chances. Uh, I, I think that that play against Bridgewater, Bridgewater, that was a beautiful ball. Have you seen that Showtime video of that play on this side of the field? That was just a beautiful That was a drop in the bucket. Right, the right. one to Tim Patrick. That, that that was that was a beautiful ball. Now I, I don't. You know, at the end of the game, when Cowboys trying to come back and you finally get an interception, he gets called for for uh, defensive holder. You know he got to stop with the penalty, right? You know he got to stop with the penalty. But in this league, you know the way you you know receivers are going to make plays. You like the fact that he's going to gamble and try to get his own plays, and that and that's the beautiful thing about what he's done because the Cowboys have always given up plays. They just never made any plays in the secondary. So you're excited about a guy in the second half where Cowboys even that has never made plays. He was making plays. You know, they say it's one thing to give up butt, but you can take the butt too. Yeah. Take you the know, butt. They was always giving up butt. They weren't taking no butt back. Right. <laughs> Clarence Hill says, take some butt, and I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> take it. Take it. Don't ask. Take it. There you go. <laughs> Man. God. <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. I, I was just observing. So I, I know that because we're recording this on Thursday morning, they still got a couple of days of practice, but the injury list for this week is lengthy. There's names like Amari Cooper and Zeke Elliott and Randy Gregory that are on it that were limited in the one day of practice we've seen. Is there any concern about any of these guys? Tyron Smith, all those guys. Yeah, I don't think Tyron Smith's going to play. I think they're going to go with the same offensive line they've had last week and and as much as everybody wants to kick Terrence Steele's ass, I don't think the offensive line issue is why they lost that game. I mean, there were plays to be made out there beyond the offensive line. You know, you know, didn't accuracy and you know, the drop passes and, and the like. 
Uh, I think the other guys are going to play. Zeke, you know, they said Zeke is fine. They're just being cautious with those guys. Mark Cooper is, is, is that veteran, you know, has, has been injured all year, yet he goes out there and plays every Sunday. And I think the same thing, you know, Randy Gregory's been dealing with a knee issue all year. And, and so uh, they're being smart with them, trying to take care of their bodies. You know, they got, uh, I guess, three games in 19 days. You know, you, you got this game, you got the Chiefs, and you got Thanksgiving Day. You know, they're, they're being smart with these guys right now, as they should be. Uh, but I don't think that Tyron's going to play. I think everybody else is going to play. Well, then I think it it becomes, uh, do you feel like uh, you got to give Steele some help? And I say that because he gave up more pressures in the Denver game than Tyron's given up all year. Oh, no no doubt. You, you got to give him some help. But he did give up some pressure. There, 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 there's, there's no question about that. And, and they got to be smart about that. They, they need to give him some help. And I don't know why they didn't adjust to give him some help during the game. You know, uh, but – uh, he wasn't the reason they lost. Yeah, I got you. This wasn't Chaz That's Green. That's all I'm saying. He wasn't read the reason. Yes, it wasn't mm-hmm. Chad Green. Yes, and he wasn't reason the offense bogged down. That that was not the reason because he gave up those pressures. You know, they first number one he gave up pressure because the Cowboys had to pass them because they were so behind, they were behind so much. Right. You know, the whole you know second half they're, they're playing from behind and you're throwing more, so there's more opportunity to give up pressure. You're not. You played a balanced game. They're not able to run the ball and do some other things to balance that thing out. I'm down thirty to nothing. Yeah, that that was that was about the time that I got up from where I was watching the game and I was like, "Well, I'm good. I, I, I think I don't need to watch the end of this one." But <laughs> you know how how important is this Falcons game? And because we talked about, I mean, we talked about this last week. I mean, we all looked at it and said, "Look, you should win these next couple of games. You might be eight and one rolling into Kansas City. This could take off." And get really good for you. Now you lose to Denver. How important is the Atlanta game to get a win? And not all of a sudden, you know, you lose this game to Atlanta. It's two losses in a row. And the mentality of wow, now you got to go play at Arrowhead in Kansas City is completely different. The at Arrowhead against a against a feisty Raiders team, and then at New Orleans. So again, these games that, that should have been gimmies, you got you got to take the gimmies. You know, yeah, it, it's very important to win this game. I mean, you know. And, and I think that's part of it. You know, we had already, on the outside, the media fans, everybody had already counted these two as wins. Okay, they're going to be eight one, as you said. And I think there was some of that seat on the inside as well. It showed in their play. You know, Jerry Jones, I mean, he had some strong words on the radio about, about the Cowboys and their preparation. He said they were lackadaisical, flat, overconfident. You know, he didn't call out the coach, but he was calling out the coach. He was calling out, did he call out the coach? Uh, about playing Dak in the fourth quarter. You know, one week, a, a week ago, we worried about long-term health. We hold about the Vikings game. One week later, you got to bet the end of the game to blow out running in two-point conversion. Make it make sense. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, before we let you go, uh, we do have to check in on this. I believe it was a, a videotape about your coaching staff cussing out players on the bus. After that loss at Iowa State, you down more cussing, what, what? more cussing. More cussing. What I was gonna say, more we have to. I just want your opinion on this. What's your opinion on the coach cussing? What's your opinion on the laughing on the bus? And then what's your opinion on the person who videotaped it and put it out there? And we'll, well just sit back and listen. I'm old school, so first of all, I you know you lost four in a row. You lost four in a row, giving up double digit leads. You know, the coach is passionate. The coach cares. These kids don't understand that this is the coach's livelihood. You know, his family. That's how he feeds his family. And somebody needs to get mad. I mean, there's, 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 
no bones about it. You can't lose that way, and then you're laughing and giggling and sniggling and giggling on the bus like nothing happened. You know, somebody should be mad, and I'm glad the coach was mad. You know, somebody has to hold them accountable. You already got one player, you know, didn't like to be coached tough and transferred, you know, and, and, and maybe some more. Again, I'm, I, that's unacceptable. That, that's definitely unacceptable. The coach finally shows, shows the backboard. Somebody on the staff needs to get mad. Someone on the team needs to get mad to what's going on the last four weeks in Texas. So, you know, Bo Davis is a hero. And the person that videotaped that thing and put it out there, he thought he was going to make the coach look bad. He thought he was going to embarrass the staff. He made the coach a hero. And he needs to go because, you know, that's unacceptable. You know, that whoever put that out needs to go. I mean, because clearly you're – you don't respect the staff. You're not buying into what they're doing. You think this is all fun and games, and you're trying to sabotage and hurt the program, hurt the coach by putting their video out there. You're not part of this team. You're not about this team. You need to go. Fair enough, man. All right, Joe. We appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. All right, man. Appreciate you guys. All right. Have there fun. he is. That is Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. As always, brought to you by Soda Weight Loss. So before we wrap this bad boy up and after that wonderful chat with Chill, let's get into some college football conversation because the world of college football, we are about to go through three weeks and it is a weird season this year, but the next three weeks are going to reveal a lot about this college football world, partially because in the Big 12, team like Oklahoma Play seven and two Baylor, six and three Iowa State, eight and one Oklahoma State. Michigan is about to play six and three Penn State. They've got Ohio State still on their schedule. Ohio State, for instance, plays six and three Purdue, eight and one Michigan State, eight and one Michigan. A lot of these teams that are kind of hanging around the pole that we're not really sure how it's going to weed out, they're right. going to get weeded. Even Oregon, even Oregon. And now, granted, they're not playing really good teams. But the last three teams on their on their schedule all have winning records. So we're going to find out if you can navigate those schedules, this is going to sort itself out and it's going to do it here in the next three weeks. Dude, and this is to me the best time about college football, man. Yep. We can start it's the the put up shut up time, you know. Uh for a team like my boys, the Buckeyes have been inconsistent. Now's the time. You hope you're playing your best football now because if you can get through this this uh these next two or three games, which is the season then you'll be wherever you wanted to be, which is in the Big Ten Championship, playing for a chance to be in the playoff uh, and uh, go see how you match up against Georgia, probably. But, uh, you know, for other teams, I mean, it's the same thing. It's it's really fun. It's really exciting. And it's going to be a blast. It is. And, and this is a solid weekend of games. This is one of those weekends where you do get some ranked-on-ranked matchups. As I mentioned, there's a big one in Waco on Saturday morning Number eight, Oklahoma going into number 13, Baylor. And make no mistakes, man, as inconsistent as Oklahoma has been this year in the ups and downs, this is a game they can lose. And if they lose, that will eliminate the Big 12. They're going to need Oklahoma to win out because nobody else in the conference. Oklahoma State's got an outside shot. But even them with the one loss, it's going to be difficult to get them in the playoff. So if you're a Big 12 fan, your best hope is Oklahoma winning out because obviously being undefeated, they'll get in. No reason to freak out that they're eighth in the rankings. That was what they were going to be. Their strength of schedule is pure trash. They have the worst strength of schedule of anybody in the top 25 right now. Well, they're and they're struggling to win those games for the most yep. part. Um, they don't look like a 
check this out. They don't look like a top four should be in a playoff team to me. The look test. But then there's so many other teams that don't have the look test either that I can't really bitch and moan about Oklahoma since they keep winning. Yeah, the only team that does is Georgia. I mean, outside of that, good luck. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, um, Alabama's cool because it's got its um, its its reputation and tradition, you know. But, you know, should they lose in, a, in the championship game to Georgia, they're going to have a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult, man. I mean, this is going to be a really fun end of the season. And you look at it, Cincinnati and Oklahoma right now. Now, that'll change this weekend. But right now, they are two of just eight teams in the FBS, 130 teams in the FBS. Cincinnati and Oklahoma are two of eight that have only played two teams with winning records. But that goes back to what, what do you want me to do, Matt? All I can do is play, play on my schedule, which was set up 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you can do is play what's there. But again... Yeah. There's differences between being undefeated against teams that are not any good and having one loss beating up on teams that are all pretty solid. I think that there's a difference. Also this weekend, see, your guys are going to get a test because apparently Purdue is the giant killers. Yeah, they are, and they um, Purdue, Purdue likes the whole underdog role. Purdue has uh, given Ohio State problems the last few times they've played them. And, you know, they got Jeff Brom's passing game that he brought from Louisville, you know, several years ago. But here's the deal, man. They throw it around, and they got a badass receiver who gets like 150 yards a game. And so if you're not where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, they can bust your ass, as several teams have found out this year. Yeah, Michigan State, the latest last week, but it's number 19 Purdue at number four Ohio State this weekend. And then your other game, there's three games with ranked teams playing each other, is the one in Oxford on Saturday night, and that is number 11 Texas A&M against number 15 Ole Miss. That'll be an interesting one. That A&M defense is legit, and I had talked about that last week, that if Bo Nix can't do with Auburn, if he can't do what he had been doing the last couple of weeks, because Auburn won't be able to run. That, that A&M front is legit. Matt Corral, obviously, is a very good quarterback. That Ole Miss offense going up against that A&M defense is going to be really interesting to see. I don't know what to think A&M. They're, they're still alive. And if Auburn beats Alabama and everybody wins their other games, that would open the door for A&M to get into the SEC title game. They would get mauled by Georgia because A&M has to run the ball. Zach Calzada is not the guy you want trying to win the game for you. And nobody can run against Georgia. So I think it'll be interesting to see this game on Saturday. And, and again, if A&M wins, their hopes are still alive. If they lose, at best, they can be 9-3 and three for the regular season. A&M, interesting team. I'm like you, man. They haven't solved their quarterback issue yet, and that makes them uh, shady. It does make them shady. And by the way, by the way, we, I, I think we'd be doing a disservice to everybody, including the guys, your, your own team, Ohio State, because I don't know how many were paying attention last week, but Ohio State has a guy named Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is a, a true sophomore. <laughs> I, look, I love the guy. He 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 played at Rockwall. He is a yellow jacket. He is the real deal. You, watching him in high school is like, that dude's going pro. Last week, he had 15 catches for 240 yards against Nebraska that set program records for Ohio State. And you're talking about a kid, a true sophomore. He has to come back next year. He already has three 100-yard receiving games. And he just continues to get better and better. And it'll be wild because I don't know that anybody who has ever played for the Rockwall Yellow Jackets has ever played in the NFL. Well, you got one coming. 
it's just a matter of whether he's going to. I mean, he looks like a dude who's going to be a first-round pick. Um, and you got to know, I heard so much hype about Jackson. Yeah, you um, did. When he was in college, I mean, when he was in high school. And then I went to see him go play, bro, in the playoff game against Allen. Mm-hmm. And I think he scored six touchdowns Yeah, in he the was first dominant. Half. Yeah, you couldn't and cover him. I was him. like, oh, my God, this dude is the truth. And uh, he's got an Ohio State and, you know, basically done everything – Everything that you would expect a five-star wide receiver to do. And check this out. It ain't even his team yet. It ain't going to be his team until the next year because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are probably going to be two number one picks this year. Yeah, man. And and it, it I want to say I feel like there is a dude who did play at Rockwell, but I'm talking like what, like maybe 50s, 60s, like a long-ass time ago. That, right. that did play in the NFL at one point, but I can't remember who it was. But I've been curious about this before, and it feels like there was one other guy. I'll have to look it up. But it Jackson Smith and Jigba is the real deal, man. And seeing a local kid that went to my high school, you know, it's just kind of cool because they say it like Gus Johnson on, on the broadcast last week, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Rockwall, Texas. And I was like, yes, that's yeah, right. Stingham Jackets. It's a lot, it's a lot like, uh, you know, for people like me, when Larry Johnson was in the NBA, first pick overall from yeah, from yeah, the there you Skyline, go. Or, or when Michael Johnson was doing his thing, you know, you just have cool. that 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 pride that uh, comes from some cat that you, you know, that uh, represents your city. All right, so I just looked it up and I was right. It is Carlton Massey. Oh, who, I remember him. He was fantastic. He was a defensive end, played for Cleveland and Green Bay. Played. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in the NFL for five seasons. He played from 1954 to 1958. He started yeah. 47 games in the NFL. Yeah, I remember that. He was a little disappointed he didn't get to the Packers right before Horning and Lombardi showed up so he could have be, you know, participate in that title run in the 60s. But, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, so he was an eighth-round draft pick, 96th overall in the 1953 draft. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember. It seemed like they had a big draft party that day. Oh, did but, they? Uh, you were alive in 1953? No, this is what I remember from, you know, stories I've heard. I mean, that's just absolutely, <laughs> yeah, sure, right? Where did he play at college? I Football? Mean, right, no, but where? I mean, because you, you remember the big draft party, so you must have been paying attention to where he was drafted from. I think he went to A&M or Texas or, West, <laughs> or Wesleyan. Oh, yeah? Schools. Yeah. No, he went to Where'd a place. He, he went to Southwestern. That's what I said, Westland. <laughs> I said Westland. Yep, same thing. Now, I meant Southwestern, but it came out Westland. Oh, yeah. I, Check the well, tape. I did say Westland. No, that makes sense. Now, sometimes, South, sometimes South can sound like Lynn, so <laughs> I understand. But yeah, so there you go. So Jackson actually has a, a chance to be the second ever Rockwall kid to go to the NFL, but I, I bet he's going to get drafted higher than 96th. Yeah, he should be a first-round pick, man. He's a beast. He is legit. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let's talk some NFL then. It is time now. We do it each and every week. We check in with our ESPN NFL insider. Been doing it a long time. Better than anyone in the business. Brought to you by Medea from scratch and their three delicious, wonderful DFW area locations. Ed Werder joining us here. And Ed, last week we were talking about this, this Cowboys team rolling. You gave us the stat about how good they've been at home, how good Dak had been at home. And and I think for everybody, just inexplicable and hard to wrap your mind around what we saw against Denver. What was your takeaway against what the Cowboys did last Sunday? 
first of all, it'll take me a while to get over the fact they made me look like an idiot on national television talking about how <laughs> Dak Prescott had led the Cowboys to 35 or more points in eight consecutive home games. And the Broncos just traded Vaughn Miller, and this was going to be an epic challenge for their defense. And then they come out and score 30 points in a row and uh, bury the Cowboys until they – they seemed a bit more inspired, I thought, about trying to avoid the shutout than they did trying to win the game. I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm willing to consider it um, an aberration until they prove otherwise. If they do right. it again this week against Atlanta, then I think we have to reevaluate what we think this team is capable of and what they're all about. But you know, the Titans, the Titans have won four consecutive playoff games against playoff teams, and they lost to the Jets. And the Bills <laughs> failed to score a touchdown and lost to the Jaguars. And even even last year, Tom Brady and the Super Bowl champion Bucks they lost in the middle of the season to the Saints, thirty-eight to three. So, if it's just a one-game blip, that's one thing. If they do it again anytime soon, then I think we have to look at it and say maybe they're not as good as we thought they were, and maybe they're just another what appears to be a good team because they're in a bad division. Um, it's amazing that none of these defeats cost them any ground in their division. I mean, they're still three and a half games ahead, and they're going to win handily unless Dak gets hurt. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if – I think they've said all the right things, and, and I guess I believe in the coaching staff enough that I expect things will be different on Sunday. They have basically come out and said, we disgraced ourselves, we didn't prepare properly – um, and this is going to be a bad week to be, you know, find yourself wearing an Atlanta Falcons uniform. And we'll see if they can if they can live up to that. When's the last time you saw Dak look that bad? I'm not sure we've ever seen him look like that. Um, <laughs> you know, again, he, he goes into the game leading the NFL in completion percentage, uh, has his worst first half ever, and finishes with only once before had he been that bad in terms of, you know, four quarters uh, completion percentage under 50%. And that was his rookie year against the Giants. Um, and, and that ended their 11-game franchise record-winning streak. And so this one, bad completion percentage day, ended their six-game winning streak. Uh, I, so I don't know. I mean, I think it was a lot of things. I think he was, he was under more pressure than normal, uh, be, maybe because they didn't have Tyron Smith for the first time this year for a full game. Uh, obviously, he didn't seem to react and recognize things uh, as as well as he typically does. So maybe the three weeks between games had something to do with it. I mean, Tony Pollard, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, all dropping passes certainly had something to do with it. Um, but I guess I guess my biggest concern, if I was them, and I know they've sort of dismissed this, um, is you know the the two worst games they've had with Dak starting. At San Diego, they were held to 20 points, which until Sunday was their lowest output of the season. And then Vic Fangio held them to 16 points. And, you know, they share uh, a common defensive philosophy in that they worked together on, under Fang on Fangio's staff in Denver before Brandon Staley went out and, and got a head coaching job. Now, I know what they've said. I know they've said, hey, we hope everybody plays us like that. Well, guess what? They're going to play you like that until you – prove you can beat that look you're going to get it and I thought what what Fangio did was really held their disguise well and maybe this goes to Justin Simmons playing safety as well as he did but they really held their disguise well 
And so I don't think Dak really got a good sense pre-snap what he was looking at. I think what he saw was something different than what he wound up playing against once he had the ball in his hands. And they didn't react well to that. Now, I know, I know the Cowboys have said, ah, you know, hey, don't, that was more us than them. Well, if I'm, if I'm future opponents, I'm going to look, you know, Brandon Staley with the Rams last year, they led the NFL in fewest points allowed on defense and fewest yards allowed. That almost, that rarely happens. Vic Fangio has been coaching football on defense in the NFL for 50 years. So those are two guys that I would trust to say, point out some things that are weaknesses for the Cowboys. And if you could create these kind of matchups for yourself, you know, you're going to hold them down and give yourself a chance. So we'll see going forward what happens. But um, I would expect a, a rebound performance this week against the Cowboys, or by the Cowboys, especially on offense. I thought the most interesting thing about their defensive game plan, because I don't think it's a blueprint, although time will tell, is that uh, they didn't blitz like other teams have, and they did kind of the Pat Mahomes thing. We'll drop some guys, yep. hope we can pressure with four and make you throw into tight windows or read zones and all this other stuff. But uh, the fact that they didn't pressure him, which is what they really like, was interesting to me. What about you? Yeah, they did. I thought they, they did pressure him, but they pressured him without blitzing. And, yeah. you know, what, what coming, coming into the game, Banjo's defenses were all about blitzing. They had the heaviest, highest uh, blitz rates on second and third downs in the entire NFL. It's a big part of their defensive strategy. Um, and they, they weren't forced to do it against Dallas. And so they were able to play more defenders in coverage. And they really took away not only the vertical plays, but they took away the, a lot of the underneath pick plays and did so, you know, extremely well and on a consistent basis it really thwarted them so that that has kind of become the look that everybody wants to use in the nfl now to prevent the teams that can hit the big play on a consistent basis and dallas can do that and kansas city does it and that's why they face the two deep zone but we've all known this isn't new like the two deep zone has existed for i know 40 years because the guy who told me how to beat it was babe loffenberg when he was playing <laughs> And he said, you know, hey, what you do is you, you run the football, which obviously the Cowboys are willing to do. Andy Reid has not been willing to do that. And you you hit the tight end in the seams. And Patrick Mahomes has been holding the ball, trying to make the big play down the field and pushing it no matter what. I think the Cowboys are smart enough to react differently and take the underneath play and try to make some yards after the catch. They do have a, you know, a viable tight end who can who can create plays for them. He's, Darren Schultz has proven that. Um, so I don't know that that strategy will work consistently against them. But I thought it was a lot of different things that the Broncos did well on defense that we probably didn't expect them to do. And the Cowboys didn't react well when they got something that was different than what they'd spent their whole week preparing for. When you look as we move forward now, and you, and you look at this Atlanta team coming in here this weekend, this is an Atlanta team that had started one and three, now is one three of four. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, their three of their four wins are the Giants, the Jets, and the Dolphins. They had that huge lead at the Dome last weekend in New Orleans, gave it up in the fourth quarter. Matt Ryan hit Patterson for some 60-yard pass or whatever at the end, and they went on a last-second field goal. But what do we make overall of this Atlanta team that, that seems to have struggled against the better teams they've played? I think they're, you know, and the point you just made about the teams that they've defeated to get to 4-4, four and four, you know, a bunch of teams with losing records, and the Saints, who were playing with a third-string quarterback last week in Trevor mm -hmm. Simeon. I think that the Falcons are kind of the Broncos with not as good a defense and a much better quarterback. And, you know, Matt Ryan's coming off one of the best games of his of his career. He had, you know, season high 343 yards. He's had 13 career 300-yard passing games against the Saints. 
Um, the Falcons don't always win those games. But the other thing I think the Cowboys have to be worried about is Matt Ryan has been one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL this year. And we know he beat them badly that way last year. And they would have won the game, and maybe Dan Quinn would still be the Atlanta coach. We'll never know if Julio Jones doesn't drop a wide-open touchdown pass in that game. Um, but they still scored an awful lot of points against the Cowboys. And I think they've got two really unique matchup players in Cordero Patterson, who came into the league as a wide receiver kick returner, but is playing running back for them. And so <laughs> I think the you know talking to the defensive coordinators who had to play him, it's like, well, you, when he's in the game, you just don't know what he is, you know? So – it's hard to decide how you want to defend against him because you don't know if he's playing going to be the running back or he's going to be split out. He's going to be the wide receiver like he was earlier in his career. And as a kick returner, obviously he's got all kinds of potential yards after the catch or on a you know a swing route, a circle route. Um, so he's going to create some interesting matchup problems, I think, for uh, for Dan Quinn. And and the other guy that's a fascinating matchup guy is you know Kyle Pitts, the rookie tight end, who is on is on pace for like almost 1,200 yards, which would set uh, a record that has stood in the NFL for rookie tight ends for over 60 years, uh, set by Mike Ditka. So those are the two guys I think they have to worry the most about containing. So it's not really a wide receiver this time for the defense to deal with. It's a running back who plays like a wide receiver and has a history as a wide receiver, and a tight end who kind of plays, can play that Julio Jones role when he's flexed out. As you talk about the Falcons' passing game, what do we make of Trayvon Diggs the last couple of weeks? And it's not so much about the interceptions, it's about giving up some plays. Yeah, and it's really, he's really become, you know, he's symbolic of um, the kind of defense they are. They're like kind of boom or bust. You know, I think we all talked about, we talked about the turnovers early on. We talked about his incredible, you know, streak of starting the season with an interception in each of his first six games, and he still leads the NFL in interceptions. But we've also now kind of seen some flaws. And, I mean, they talk about the penalties and, you know, he gets them playing. Now, he doesn't get the penalty because he's playing aggressively. He's getting penalties because he's getting beat and he's trying to save himself. You know, Mike Zimmer made that point to me going into the Minnesota game that, hey, this is a guy who, you know, he'll squat, he'll get beat, he'll hold. That's why he has a lot of holding penalties. You know, he's got to grab a guy, he's getting by him. So that's that's just part of it. Um, it, is a, it is a big problem, though, for the defense when they don't get turnovers. Uh, the last two weeks, they've gotten zero turnovers after having that streak of 10 straight games with multiple turnovers. You know, they're scoring at will on everybody. Last two weeks, no turnovers. They score 20 points and 16 points. So that's vital to their existence and their success on the field on defense because I, I, had, I had it broken down this week actually by ESPN Stats and Info. This Cowboys defense in the passing game is actually worse than last year. When Mike, when Mike Dolan got fired and they gave up the most points in franchise history, this defense is worse um, in that regard, in giving up big plays. They've given up uh, more 25-yard passing plays than any team in the league. It gets disguised because of the turnovers they've created and because of the individual success in that regard of Trayvon Diggs. But this is a defense that can be beat with the big play, and the Falcons are the kind of team that can take advantage of that. When you look at what we talked about, you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, Ed, the offensive line and Tyron Smith. If he doesn't play this week, do you anticipate the line now that Steele has been out there at the left tackle spot that they'll perform a little bit better? Or is that going to continue to be something that is a problem for the Cowboys without Smith? Well, he said that it was more challenging to move from the right side where he'd been playing and playing well to the left side where, you know, he got exposed by Jonathan Cooper, who's a 
rookie seventh round pick who had his, the first two sacks of his career against Steele and, and really sent a message early on when he beat him right off the ball and Steele barely made contact with him before he hit Dak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, he's got to get better there if he's going to be the swing tackle. I don't know that they have a better option. I know people say, well, play Layella. Well, he's not used to playing there either. He hadn't played there since 2016. Um, so he's got to pick it up. He's got to play better. And maybe they have to consider the possibility of giving him more help in certain situations than they've so far provided him. What uh, is, I'm, I'm about to shift into the league now, man. What do you think of the Cardinals being able to put that butt whipping on San Francisco without Kyler Murray? Yeah, the amazing thing you know about the Cardinals is without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins, without J.J. Watt, um, yeah, that was a real statement win. And they've had a lot of statement wins this year. You know, they won all the road games. They scored 30 points in all the road games. Um, and, and I think as long – and everybody's kind of skeptical of the Cardinals, <laughs> uh, the last undefeated team in the league. They still only have one loss. Um, and people are skeptical about them because of what happened last year when they did all this. They were the number one offense in the league. And then Kyler got hurt and tried to play through the injury. I think they've taken a smarter approach this year based on their experience last year. And they're, they're going to hold Kyler Murray out until he's really close to being fully healthy uh, because they need him at the end of the year. So I think, I think their conservative management of him with this particular injury makes a lot of sense. It's more important given what they, the way they've started for them to risk losing a game or two along the way, even if it means you have to play an extra round in the playoffs. To me, it's still worth it to have Kyler Murray and all his playmaking skills as both a runner uh, and an improved pocket passer than um, to pile up some wins and, and get yourself home field advantage only to you know lose your first game because Kyler's not healthy. What do you make of the AFC where, and you kind of talked about this, we saw Buffalo inexplicably get shut down by Jacksonville. They're 5-3, and three, which is neck and neck with New England in the East. The AFC West, every single team out there has a winning record. And then you've got Tennessee in the South. They've got some impressive wins. I was surprised what they did against the Rams last week. They're 7-2, and two, the best team on paper in the AFC, but they don't have Derrick Henry. So how do you see this AFC sorting out halfway through? Yeah, it's uh, you know I think the three best teams are are the Titans and um, you know they've they've won as I said what five straight games and the last four have come against teams from the playoffs who made the playoffs in 2020. They're only the four team in the last 15 years to do that, and and the previous three all made the Super Bowl and two of them won it. But now the, the challenge for them and they they've succeeded last week without Derrick Henry. There's no non-quarterback more essential to the success of a football team than Derrick Henry is to the, the Tennessee Titans. Um, I would say, note that their defense has been playing significantly better this year than it did a year ago. You know, they made the playoffs and won the South. They only had 19 sacks. They already have more than that now. They went into the playoffs last year with the fewest sacks in the history of the league for a playoff team. Uh, you know, the Ravens, we get to watch them tonight. Their opponents, you know, are what, like 22 and 29, but Lamar Jackson's more a more dominant figure maybe than he's ever been, and that's saying something. Uh, they're throwing the football a little bit better. He's on pace for, you know, over 4,500 passing yards and almost 1,300 yards rushing. Um, so he's on uh, historic pace. And then the Bills, like we have, we've all thought, the Bills were one of the premier teams in the league, but they're they're kind of in the same situation the Cowboys are in. Um, they lost to Jacksonville without scoring a touchdown last week, and now they've kind of gotten themselves in trouble in their division, unlike the Cowboys. <laughs> they're, they're in trouble because New England has now won three in a row. And, you know, Mac Jones is a, is a young quarterback getting better every week. And Bill, Bill Belichick has always said 
that he regards the first month of the season as an extension of the preseason and that a team doesn't really begin playing well or showing itself, showing revealing what it is until like halfway through the year. Well, here we are, and New England's winning. So uh, this could be an issue for the Buffalo Bills. as they, I still think they're one of the best teams in football, but they're, they've had periodic troubles on offense. They're not protecting uh, Josh Allen very well, and they don't have a running game. So they've got some significant flaws that they've got to fix. Hey, bro, before we let you go, I'm always, I, th- I think this would be interesting. Uh, you're a huge Atlanta Braves fan. They won a they won a World Series, uh, but I think people forget that that reporters and, and athletes are fans of teams, you know. Too. What did the Braves World Series mean? When to you? Well, the, the only game, World Series game I've ever seen in person uh, came courtesy of our former Dallas Morning News colleague, the late great Jerry Fraley, um, a seam head as he called himself, who got me tickets to the 1995 one nothing Tom Glavin Mark Waller's wow. Braves victory. Uh, in it was that 22 years ago or something, the last time they won a World Series. Uh, I thought it was incredible what they did going into the playoffs as an 88 win team. I mean, this is a team I've loved. I was a kid growing up in South Florida. You could get their games on the radio if it was a perfect night, and I was willing to lay on the ground next to my mom's big stereo, which was the size of our Rambler and all both contained wood paneling. Uh, <laughs> If I was willing to lay there and tune the game, you know, slightly all night long, but it was more losses than wins back then, so it was really rewarding. And I admit, I didn't think this was their year. I mean, you know, they they never got Mike Soroka, who was supposed to be their best pitcher, back. Uh, he blew his Achilles out two years in a row. Now we don't even know if he's going to have a career. Uh, they obviously lost uh, Ronald Acuna. They didn't have a winning record until the second week of August, which just never happened. So yeah, I thought it was. Uh, a great testament to what can be achieved. And credit to the general manager. Uh, he re- remade the outfield like three times. Um, and, and, and a credit to the ownership to be willing to spend the money when I think that was you know one of the question marks about that franchise. All right, Ed Werder, as always, man, we appreciate it. Enjoyed the chat. Good to talk to you guys. Take care. All right. Bye, All right. There he is. That is ESPN NFL insider. Ed Werder joins us every week. Thanks to Medea from Scratch. They have their three locations, Grapevine, Flower Mound, and Plano. And don't forget, a lot of you planning those holiday parties or just getting together with some coworkers, whatever you're doing, Medea from scratch. Keep them in mind. They can cater your event or simply show up, man. Give them a call and and book your holiday party with Medea from scratch, a tasty treat indeed. Just so you know, dog, the table guac, yeah, your boy recommends it highly. That's it. That's it. What is that where they make it right in front of you? Yeah, bro. Yeah, that's always the best. <laughs> it's off the chain, dog. That's fantastic. I love a good guacamole. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. Also brought to you by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Let him help you secure your family's future. You can give him a call at 940-453-3490. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy.
Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.